Let us now worship the Lord through the study of his word. And would you take your Bibles and turn with me once again to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Let us find verse 11. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 11. And when you get there, would you rise out of reverence for God's word as we read it together? Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Hear the word of God. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which, is it is, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the perfect word of God. You may be seated. This morning, we begin with a question What is the hope that you are clinging to in this life? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Do you have an anchor for your soul? Or are you blown and tossed about by the seas of life? If you are a Christian here this morning, a believer in Jesus Christ and under his lordship, then you do have such a hope that transcends this life. You do have a reason to get out of bed in the morning that looks beyond the horizon of this life to that great eternal day. And you do indeed have an anchor for your soul that keeps you fixed to the solid rock. And in our passage this morning, we have the privilege of studying this today. The fact that we have such an anchor. We have such a confidence and such assurance. And why can we have such assurance and confidence as believers? Because it is wrapped up in the very character of who God is. Because God has promised it, and because God has even doubly confirmed it with an oath, we can be fully assured that what he has said will come to pass. God can no more 
break one of his promises, then he can cease to exist. So there are three main sections to our passage this morning. And so we're going to look at three main points. So first we're going to look at verses 11 to 12. We're going to talk about the hope. And secondly, we're going to look at verses 13 to 15, which is the promise. And finally, we're going to look at verses 16 to 20, which is the oath. So this morning we're going to look at the hope, the promise, and the oath. And this morning we're going to see the connection between these three related ideas. Hope, promise, oath. We're going to see how these things are related to each other and flow in and out with one another. So let's consider for a moment the connection between a promise that has been made and hope. Promise and hope. What brings those two things together? Well, when someone makes a promise, what is promised has not taken place yet, right? A promise looks to the future. Whatever you're going to promise, you're looking to the future. At some time, what has been promised will be fulfilled. But when you make a promise, a promise automatically produces hope in the other person. It automatically produces hope in the one who has received the promise. So, for example, the weatherman promises that on Tuesday the sun will come out, the temperature will rise, and all this snow and ice will melt away. So he makes a promise. And immediately, when we hear that, hope arises, especially if we live in Canada, hope arises in our hearts that this will actually take place. Or another example, a politician promises to lower taxes, clean up corruption in the government, and make improvements in our community. When we hear that, immediately hope arises in our hearts that this will actually take place. <laughs> you heard that. <laughs> or another example, a father promises to take his child out for ice cream when he comes home from work. And so that child waits all day in hope that the father will fulfill his promise. One final example, a husband promises his wife to take her to Paris, France one day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and straight away, her heart is filled with hope that this will one day come to pass. So, pro so a promise automatically fills us with hope, doesn't it? As we wait for the promise to be fulfilled. So that's the connection. A promise produces hope. But we know from experience that oftentimes our hopes are disappointed. And oftentimes hope can transform into a form of wishful thinking. We can even become jaded and, and cynical about hope. Because maybe the weatherman makes, has made so many mistakes in the past that we begin to doubt that his prediction about Tuesday's weather will come true. And maybe we view the politician as just another liar, just trying to get our vote, and he won't actually change anything. And, and who knows if the father will actually keep his word. Maybe he will work overtime or simply forget his promise. Or maybe he's, he'll be too tired when he comes home and just ignore his child. And maybe the husband will never get around to taking his wife to Paris. I don't know. 
I keep smiling, but I haven't actually made that promise. Just to be absolutely clear, I'm not talking about myself. I should have used a different example. Maybe the husband will never get around to taking his wife to Paris. Maybe there will never be enough extra money for such a frivolous expense, or maybe their marriage won't even last till then. We don't know what the future actually holds. And so we see this connection between a promise and the hope that that promise will be kept. And what do we see there? Well, we see that it all depends upon the character and the ability of the promise maker to keep that promise and to see it through. So if we have a high degree of trust in the promise maker, that he will keep his word, then our hope in the promise given will be high, won't it? But if we have a low degree of trust in the one making the promise, then our hope that the promise will actually come true will then be low. In fact, we can even use different words to describe high hope, middle hope, and low hope. For high hope, we use the word confidence. I am confident that this promise will be fulfilled. For middle hope, we normally just use the word hope. I hope that the promise will be fulfilled. There's a good chance that it won't happen. It's kind of 50-50 thing. And for low hope, we usually talk in terms of wishful thinking, don't we? I wish that this promise might possibly come true, but I have little expectation of that actually happening. So confidence, hope, 50-50 hope, and wishful thinking. So with the weatherman, it might be hope of that middle variety. I hope that the weatherman will be right about Tuesday, but he's wrong. he's been wrong before, so it's a 50-50 a chance. That's middle hope. With the politician, it's probably wishful thinking. Maybe he's one of those rare politicians who actually keeps his campaign promises, but I doubt it. That's low hope. And with the father and the husband example, it depends on how trustworthy he is, how he has kept his word in the past. If he has been faithful in keeping his promises, then it will be confidence. I'm confident that I'll go for ice cream with Dad this evening. Or I'm confident that one day I'll get to visit the Eiffel Tower. And so that's the connection between promise and hope. Now what about an oath then? Talk about a promise, talk about hope. What about an oath? What does it do? Well, an oath, what an oath is meant to do is that it increases confidence in the promise. It increases confidence in the promise. And it does this by appealing to one's own honor. So if I make a promise to my wife and she doesn't believe me that I will keep my promise, then I will use an oath to make her see that I'm really serious about keeping my promise. So there are various things you can say. You can say, upon my honor, I will take you to Paris. That's an oath. Or, I swear on my grandmother's grave. Or, I swear by my children's lives. Or, I swear on a Bible. Or, I swear to God. Those are different examples of common oath phrases that we might hear today. In ancient times, a man would swear by his God. He would say, by Zeus. Or maybe he would swear by the life of the king. As surely as the king lives. In all of these cases, it means that if, if the man breaks his promise or he fails to fulfill it, then he has dishonored what he, whatever he swore by. And remember, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he talked about oaths. 
He said, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And Jesus' point there was that we as Christians are to be so truthful and so trustworthy that you never need to guarantee anything you say with an oath. That your yes will be enough when you say yes, and your no will be enough when you say no. And so with this understanding laid of promise, hope, and oath, let us get into our passage and let us study together. And as we do, I want us to be thinking, how should I think of hope when the Bible uses this word in reference to the promise of God? Is it confidence? Is it 50-50 hope? Or is it wishful thinking? So let's be thinking through that as, as we study our passage together. And so we start with the concept of hope here. Look with me at verse 11. Verse 11 in Hebrews refers to hope. That we are to have full assurance of hope until the end. This means that we are called to stay strong in hope until our final breath. God has promised salvation. And that promise immediately produces hope in our hearts. And we are supposed to maintain full assurance of this hope until the very end. This means that we're not to waver, not to doubt, not to go back and forth. We have to have full assurance that God will fulfill what he has promised. And hope is mentioned two more times at the end of our passage, at the end of the chapter, in verses 18 and 19. In verse 18 it says, we are to hold fast to the hope set before us. And in verse 19 it says that our hope is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. So hope is really important. And it's in verse 12 that, that Hebrews refers to the promise. This is the promise that produces hope. There are examples in the Old Testament of saints who waited patiently for God to keep his word, to fulfill various promises that he had made. Verse 12 says that we are to follow their example. We're not to let our guard down so that our confidence and expectations begin to fade and lay. This is the result of a lazy or a sluggish hope that is degenerating towards wishful thinking. But when we look to those heroes of the faith who have gone before us, we see their faithfulness and their patience and their confidence that God will fulfill his promises. And we see that over and over again throughout Scripture, God did keep his word, and they inherited what he had promised them. And so this example ought to motivate us and keep us going in order to increase our confidence, our faithfulness, our patience to endure until the end. And so this brings us to our second point this morning, looking at the promise. Here in verses 13 to 15, Hebrews points to Abraham as the great example of waiting in confident hope for God to keep his promise. The content of the promise comes in verse 14. Surely I will bless you 
and multiply you. So the immediate fulfillment of the promise that God had given to Abraham was a son. And for that son, Abraham waited patiently for many, many years. And so verse 15 says that Abraham obtained the promise after waiting for so long. But here is also where the idea of an oath is introduced. This promise that Abraham will have a son is made, has been made directly by God to Abraham. And of course, because it is God himself making the promise, then Abraham already has the highest degree of confidence that God will keep his word. But verse 13 tells us that God takes things a step farther. It is an unnecessary step, but God does it anyway. He overconfirms the certainty of his promise by adding an oath to it. So now Abraham has double confirmation that God will keep his promise. For not only has God himself made the promise, but he has even doubled down on that promise by attaching an oath to it. But there's just one little problem. By whom or by what shall God swear an oath? There is no one and there's nothing greater than himself. <coughs> Isaiah 40, 18 asks, To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him? To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Says the Holy One. Isaiah 46, 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me and we may be alike? Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and make alive. I wound and heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah 43, 10 to 13. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? So these various verses confirm that there is no one and nothing greater than God to whom he can appeal to, to whom he can swear an oath. And so... What happens when God swears, he must swear by himself. And so that's what God did in Genesis chapter 22. He swore by himself to bless Abraham and multiply his seed. He gave Abraham extra reason to be confident that God would keep his promise. But there's something else here that we should mention. God swore by himself, he made this oath, in Genesis chapter 22. And this chapter is about Abraham sacrificing Isaac on the altar in obedience to God's command. And if you remember the story, it's in response to Abraham's obedience that after God has prevented Abraham from killing his son Isaac, God then speaks from heaven a second time. And it is then that God swears by himself and promises to bless and multiply Abraham. So why is that significant? It is because by then, Abraham already has his son, Isaac, who is the son of promise. So God has already 
come through and kept his word to provide a son for Abraham in his old age. So if, if God has already fulfilled his promise, so what is he doing here then? By making this promise now and, and attaching such a serious oath to it when he swears by himself. What is the point that Hebrews is making here? I believe that Hebrews' point here is that God was pointing Abraham to a greater and deeper promise that went far beyond land and family and material blessing in this life. It pointed beyond that to the blessing of eternal life. And Hebrews will take up this point in Hebrews chapter 11, which is nicknamed the Faith Hall of Fame. In chapter 11, Hebrews will say that Abraham, along with all the other Old Testament saints, was looking forward, really, he was looking forward to eternal life. That that was the real promise that God was holding out, even back then, under the Old Covenant. So we have seen now that hope comes from responding to a promise. And the assurance or confidence of the hope depends on one's degree of trust in the promise maker. And in our passage so far, Hebrews has talked about the hope that we're supposed to have, and he has talked about Abraham as an example of patiently waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. And we've just seen how after God had already kept his immediate promise in providing a son for Abraham, now he promises further blessing, deeper blessing, greater blessing, and he even swears by himself that this will absolutely happen. So now we turn to our third and last point this morning, the oath. This is really the key part of the whole passage. We've already talked a little bit about the oath, but now we're going to see how Hebrews brings all of this together in application for us as Christians. So look with me at verse 16 here. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. We've already touched on this principle, that when you make a promise and then you swear an oath, you are swearing by something greater than yourself. And so this puts an end to disputes and further arguments, because now you have put your personal honor on the line. For example, if you put your hand on a Bible and swear by the Bible, then if you break your oath, then what are you showing? Well, you're revealing that you care nothing for the Bible. It makes a mockery of your belief in the Bible. For another example, if you swear on your mother's grave and then you break your promise, then what have you done? You have dishonored your mother and her memory. So then, if you swear to God and then break your promise then what are you doing? You are dishonoring God whom you say you believe in, and you reveal that your belief in him is nothing. So when God swears by himself, when God swears by himself, he is putting his own honor on the line. That if he breaks his promise, then he has been unfaithful to himself. Hebrews 6 verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So what did God do? 
He confirmed the promise of blessing to the family of Abraham, that is, the family of faith, with yet another oath, so that we would have even more confidence in God keeping his word to fulfill his promise. So what verse 17 is hinting at is there has been another promise and another oath given to the family of faith, given to the heirs of the promise. So we ask, well, where did God make this further oath? Where did he make this other oath? Well, turn with me in your Bibles so that you can see it for yourselves. Turn with me to the book of Psalms and find Psalm 110. Because especially in the following chapter, in chapter 7 of Hebrews, he's going to make a big deal out of this. So it's good if we see it now. So Psalm 110. Let's look at verse 1, first of all. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Hebrews has already quoted this earlier in in the book of Hebrews. And he applies this to Christ. He says this psalm is talking about the Messiah. This psalm is talking about Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, if you look, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So look, it says there, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. So it is here in Psalm 110 where God swears, he makes the oath, that the Messiah is also an eternal high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So again, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And as I said, Hebrews is then going to unpack this verse further in chapter 7. But he, has, he already has it in mind here in chapter 6. And so here again, we see God making an oath. And we see that it is an unchangeable oath. For the Lord will not change his mind. And what is he doing here? Here God is guaranteeing the eternal priesthood of the Messiah with an oath that cannot be broken. And this priesthood is the basis and foundation of our salvation. And so, if the intercessory priesthood of Christ is guaranteed by an oath, then it follows that our salvation is guaranteed by nothing less than an oath of God. And that is what Hebrews is implying here. And so he continues back in our passage in Hebrews chapter 6. He continues in verse 18, and he says, So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So what are these two unchangeable things? Well, the two unchangeable things are God's promise and his oath. And God's promise is enough all by itself. Why? Because it's impossible for God to lie, it says here. His character is perfect. Therefore, his faithfulness is absolute. God can no more fail to keep a promise 
that he can cease to exist. And so God's promise is enough in and of itself. However, God graciously doubles down and gives us an extra guarantee, an unchangeable oath. So he gives us an unchangeable promise, and then he adds an unchangeable oath to that promise. So what is the result for us? Well, therefore, we can be doubly confident of God keeping his word. For he does not lie, and his promise is certain. But on top of that, he has added his oath as an additional confirmation. The oath is not necessary. It's redundant. It's superfluous. I totally butchered that word. Superfluous. There we go. But God does it anyway for our sake, for our assurance. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. God has determined that the Messiah will make intercession for his people. The God who cannot lie has promised this. And he has even sworn by himself with an unchangeable oath that this will be so. And so we who have fled for refuge to cling to the living God, we can take great comfort and strong encouragement from this double confirmation of salvation through the Messiah's high priestly intercession. We can hold fast to this hope that has been set before us. Why? Because it is not a hope that is just wishful thinking. It's not even a 50-50 kind of hope. It is confidence. It is a capital H hope. A sure and certain expectation that God will accomplish what he has promised he will do. And so Hebrews continues in verse 9. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so, in this topsy-turvy, upside-down, and unpredictable life, it is our confident hope of salvation that anchors our soul. While the storms of life threaten to sink us, that anchor holds firm. Why? Because Jesus, our eternal high priest, has gone behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God on our behalf. And now he is holding back the curtain for us to enter in after him. The fact that we can enter into God's presence in the next life is the hope that anchors us in this life. So this morning, as we close... Do you have this hope of one day entering behind the curtain into the holy presence of God? Do you have this anchor for your soul that because Jesus Christ is your eternal high priest, you have peace with God? Remember that this is not the only promise and oath that God has made. 
because he has also made the opposite promise and oath. <clears throat> Remember, back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11, God said this, I swore in my wrath over my dead body shall they ever enter into my rest. So here in chapter 6, we have this promise and oath of salvation, but we have to remember that there was another promise and oath made back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11, which was quoting Psalm 95, verse 11, where God said, I swore in my wrath over my dead body shall they ever enter into my rest. And God is just as doubly committed to this promise and oath as he is for the one promising salvation. So which of these two promises and oaths from the living God applies to you today? The sworn promise of salvation through repentant faith in Jesus Christ or the sworn promise of wrath because of disbelieving rebellion against God? The former says with Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. However, the latter says with Romans 2.5, Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself on the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. When your confident hope is set securely upon Jesus Christ, because you know that he is your high priest, who has offered a perfectly satisfying sacrifice before God, then that is truly an anchor for your soul. One worth holding fast to with all your strength until the very end. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the confident hope we can have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this hope because it is based on your unchanging promise that you have bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ and through his high priestly intercession. And Father, you even went further and you confirmed it with an oath. You said the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Jesus Christ is an eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, Father, we are grateful for that promise and for that oath that ought to raise up in our hearts such confidence and such assurance and such hope that one day we too will enter behind the curtain where Jesus has gone already on our behalf. One day we will, we too will go behind that curtain. And be able to see you in your glory and dwell in your holy presence. But Father, we are reminded as well of, of the other oath and promise that you have made. That for those who disobey and disbelieve in you and reject your son, there is nothing but wrath left over. That you have sworn in your wrath, they shall not enter into your rest. And so, Father, may we be sobered by that. That there is an oath and a promise to salvation, while there is also an oath and a promise to damnation. And so, Father, 
may we examine our own hearts this day and ask ourselves, have I truly repented of my sin? Have I truly put my faith in Jesus Christ? Have I surrendered to his lordship so that I desire to obey him in everything? Am I walking with him daily? Looking forward and clinging to that hope that he has given me, that hope of eternal salvation. And so, Father, as this passage tells us, let us not grow weary or flag or fail to cling and hold fast to that hope which you have been given, which you have given to us through your promise. And so, Father, give us the strength day by day to grow in our love and our knowledge of you so that you may be glorified in our life and so that we may grow in our assurance day by day that yes, we belong to you. And yes, one day we shall enter behind that curtain to enter into your holy presence. Not because of anything good we have done, but because of the perfect righteousness of Christ and the perfect, the perfect offering that he offered on our behalf. So Father, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name. We can never say thank you enough for all that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen.